Good morning. Our scripture today is Luke 24, 13 to 35. That very day, two of them were going to a village named Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. And they were talking with each other about all these things that had happened. While they were talking and discussing together, Jesus himself drew near and went with them. But their eyes were kept from recognizing him. And he said to them, What is this conversation that you are holding with each other as you walk? And they stood still, looking sad. Then one of them, named Cleopas, answered him, Are you the only visitor to Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened there in these days? And he said to them, What things? And they said to him, Concerning Jesus of Nazareth, a man who was a prophet, mighty in deed and word before God and all the people, and how our chief priests and rulers delivered him up to be condemned to death and crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. Yes, and besides all this, it is now the third day since these things happened. Moreover, some women of our company amazed us. They were at the tomb early in the morning. And when they did not find his body, they came back saying that had, they had even seen a vision of angels who said that he was alive. Some of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it, just as the women had said, but him they did not see. And he said to them, O foolish ones, and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. So they drew near to the village to which they were going. He acted as if he were going farther, but they urged him strongly, saying, Stay with us, for it is toward evening and the day is now spent. So he went in to stay with them. When he was at the table with them, he took the bread and blessed and broke it and gave it to them. And their eyes were opened and they recognized him, and he vanished from their sight. They said to each other, Did not our hearts burn within us while he talked to us on the road, while he opened to us the scriptures? And they rose that same hour and returned to Jerusalem, and they found the eleven and those who were with them gathered together, saying, The Lord has risen indeed and has appeared to Simon. Then they told what had happened on the road, and how he was known to them in the breaking of the bread. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, you are indeed risen. We thank you once again for your resurrection and your salvation. And God, I just pray that our hearts would always burn um, when we hear your wonderful words of life. Lord, just speak through uh, Grant today, and we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you very much, Paula. Have a seat, grab a Bible. Couple more, couple more Sundays in Luke. We're almost done. Makes me sad. I've enjoyed preaching through Luke. But what a story today. What a fun story today. Um, you know, a few things about this story before we get going. It's familiar. This is the story of the road to Emmaus, but um, let's just recognize a few things before we get going. First of all, I don't know who these two people are, and we're not going to spend a whole lot of time speculating about who, who these two people are. Um, we're told one of them is named uh, Cleopas. There's a, 
There's a, a, a line in John that talks about Mary, the wife of Clopas. That's a different name. Some uh, scholars have said, nah, that's probably different spelling or probably referring to the same guy. Maybe they've even got this worked out where it's Jesus's uncle, like maybe it's Joseph's brother. Um, we just don't know. I, that's, that, all that stuff is fun, and you can kill an afternoon in your office, uh, as I have, um, trying to figure all that out. But it's just not important. If, Luke, if Dr. Luke, the evangelist, wanted to tell us exactly who these guys were, then we would know. There's a lot of speculation that this might be, this might actually be uh, Clopas or Cleopas and his wife that are traveling. You know, the, it, one of the, the features in Luke that we've been noticing is there's almost always a guy story and a girl story for every time there's like a shepherd that's looking for sheep. There's a woman sweeping the floor looking for a coin. That's like kind of been the pattern. So maybe that's what's going on. Um, but probably not enough to make it like put our flag down and go, this is what we know. So what do we do know? Well, we know that these were disciples of Jesus, but not the apostles of Jesus. In fact, that might be why the name check, um, why uh, um, you know Luke wants us to know that one of them was Cleopas, that is not uh, Peter or Matthew or anybody else. So this is, these are disciples of Jesus, but not of the 11, not the apostles. So you remember last week, as the women went back and it said they, they went and told the story to the apostles and the rest of them. So these two people are part of the rest of them, this group who had, and I don't know how long they had even been disciples of Jesus. Were these people that had come all the way from Galilee with them? Or were these people who had kind of been excited as they were at the Passover uh, feast and heard Jesus preaching from the temple? We just don't know. Um, what we do know is that these are people who've heard the story. They know who Jesus is. They sat at his feet, and yet they don't understand what's going on. There, was no, there were no details that really needed to be uh, entrenched in them except the resurrection of Christ. And that is the thing that, that we hold to that makes us all believers. It is not the teachings of Jesus, although they are life-giving and they, they, they feed us. And it's not just how Jesus taught us to live that makes us Christians. It is our confession in the resurrection, the empty tomb of Christ that makes us believers. And so this is a story of these people who go, they had some knowledge they know the story. They even had experiences with Jesus. It's almost impossible to imagine that they weren't some of those, as it says, like Jesus is in another fight with the, uh, with the religious establishment in Jerusalem, but all the people loved him. It's hard to believe that they're not part of that, all the people that really love Jesus. In fact, they're going to confess that here in a second. So they... they had all of the... You know what I almost put up? Do you remember like in the 90s? How good the music was. No, that's something else. Um, do you remember? Do you remember in the in the nineties where every mall had these pictures that looked like a bunch of squiggles? But if you looked at them long enough and like blurred your eyes, a 3D image came out. Now I was gonna put one on the screen, but let me tell you a secret. Not one time in my life have I ever been able to look at one of those and see what's there. I just can't do it. I've never been able to. So I was like, I'm gonna put one up and it's gonna be something dirty and I'm gonna get fired. Like that's 
That's not what I want. Um, but you know what I'm talking about, right? Or maybe it's kind of, so it's like that, like the, it's all right there. And, you know, um, I, I might be a little bit colorblind. Maybe that's why I can't see those things. But, um, but uh, people who go, oh my gosh, was this elephant there the whole time? Like you were staring at it and there was nothing. And then all of a sudden there it is. And that's kind of like the experience these people, uh, these two travelers are having with Jesus. Or maybe it's like you dumped out the, the you know, 500 piece puzzle. Tiffany is an expert at puzzles. I give up immediately. I, the, they're all on the table and I feel my knees go weak. <laughs> I, just go, I can't do it. I'm going to go do a crossword. Um, uh, but, you know, you lay all those out and you go, I know the whole picture is here. I just kind of haven't put it all together yet. And that's where these two are as they're traveling from Jerusalem to a town called Emmaus that, you're not going to believe this, but scholars disagree on where Emmaus is. It could be that it's three and a half miles away and seven miles is the round trip, or it could be that it's really seven miles away. And these guys just had quite a hike that day. But they're headed away from Jerusalem. I, I don't have this, like nobody, I didn't read this anywhere, so I'm probably wrong, but I wonder, you know, Luke spent a lot of time with Paul. Luke and Paul were traveling companions. And I wonder if this isn't Paul's influence, that Paul goes, I was like this. I had the story. I was in Jerusalem when it happened. I had the Old Testament. I was an expert in the law. And yet there I was persecuting the church until I experienced the resurrected Christ. This is a story that is not only common. This is the only way people come to salvation. An experience with the resurrected Christ. Thank God that he has preserved stories like this. That we, while we don't have the opportunity to be on that road, we have faithful testimony of people who were. And we can experience the resurrected Christ as well. You know, maybe there is a time in your life when you look back and you think the same thing about your life. Man, Jesus was all around me. In retrospect, you see God's fingerprints all over the place. There were people giving you testimonies. There, were, there was help for you. There were scriptures coming in and out of your life. There were feelings, there were emotions. There was a burning in your heart, but there was still something in the way. You hadn't yet surrendered to the story of Jesus. And that really is where I'd like to leave us with today is not just do you know the story of Jesus, but have you surrendered to Christ? Because it's one thing to go, I grew up in a Baptist church and I knew all the stories and went to Sunday school, got my Awana badges. Great, that gets you nothing. It is surrendering to the person, to the resurrected Christ that gets you everything. There's another important observation about our two travelers and that is that there was something in the way, we are told. So they had understanding, but there's something in the way of their understanding. Verse 16 says that their eyes were kept from recognizing Jesus. And, you know, there's, again, several different opinions on what's going on. What was it that was blinding them to know who Jesus was? The verbs are passive. Did you hear that? Their eyes were kept. Some have called this a divine passive. That's something that, that uh, you know, is more clear in Greek than in English, that it was God who was allowing their spiritual blindness. Or maybe some would say it was their own stubborn hearts. After all, Jesus is going to call them foolish for not understanding the Old Testament prophecies about him. Or 
Or maybe it was a combination of those. And also, let's not pretend there's not the spiritual forces of darkness in heavenly places. After all, 2 Corinthians 4 says that the God of this age has blinded the eyes of unbelievers. And so maybe it's one of those. Maybe it's all of those. Maybe Luke is being a little bit intentionally vague as he said their eyes were kept from seeing him because this feels like a real world story. If you can think back to a time before you believed in the resurrected Savior, you might go, what was keeping you from belief? And at this point, you might go, I don't know. Unbelief is its own thing. All of that might be partially true. Who knows? We don't often get to see behind the curtains, even of our own understanding. All we have is our own own understanding. And so in this story, we get to see people go from confusion to faith. And I hope that if you are here in a place where you are a seeker on the road, that today is helpful in you going from confusion to faith. But if that is not true, and you have been a person of faith and have fully surrendered to the, to the work and person of Jesus Christ, then I hope this gives us a broken heart for those that are on that road. That we might not see people who are seeking truth and doing it in all the places that we know are going to actually be self-destructive for them. But honestly seeking, not see them as enemies, but rather as mission field. That we would see Jesus as our model in this. That we would look at how Jesus brings these people to faith. And we would say, Holy Spirit, would you use me to do the same? What should we get out of this story? First, I think it should compel us to understand and be able to engage with people on various fronts of unbelief. Jesus is our model in seeking people. What do people who don't know Jesus need? Do they need firsthand experience with Jesus? Do they need the testimony of Christians? Do they need training and exposition of the Scriptures? Do they need Bible teaching? Do they need participation, community, and a fellowship, even the sacraments, baptism, and, and, and the Lord's Supper? Is it prayer that God would reveal Himself to them in the quiet of their hearts that this would just be them and God? Wouldn't we say yes to all of that? And we would look and see how Jesus addresses all of those things as He brings these two to faith. As we evangelize, as we go out on our mission, and you know, it's, it's kind of um, like, you know, I think every time I went to church as a kid, I, I came away going, oh, I need to go tell people about Jesus. And there's, there's much more depth to the scriptures. Christian maturity is not just evangelism. But if you look at the empty tomb and are not compelled out with the story, stay at the empty tomb until you are. And as we go out on mission to expand the kingdom of God, to make disciples, we need to be able to address real people where they really are. There are lots of barriers to faith and lots of categories and good, grace-soaked, truthful answers to each of those barriers. There is no barrier of faith that Jesus has not addressed in the resurrection. So also, this is a story 
And I'm praying, I've been praying that God would send people today that are on this journey. This is a story that gives us permission to not fully know things. There is a season when you're on the road, when you're seeking and you don't have it all figured out. It's okay to be in process. It's okay to be lost. It's okay to be disappointed. It's okay to have all the pieces, to be staring at the fuzzy image and not be seeing anything quite yet. But this is a story that will encourage us to continue seeking, to not give up in your search for truth, to not give up in your search for who Jesus really is. Because it is those who seek Jesus that find him. Not the proud traveler who thinks he already has all the answers, but ready, rather, the broken-hearted travelers walking, going, what was all that? that end up finding Jesus. The one walking on the road, trying to figure it all out. The seeker, the knocker, the asker. It is he or she that finds truth. So let's look at the puzzle pieces. First, let's look at some of the obstacles that were in the way of these people's faith. And, and then we'll look at how Jesus addresses those. And, and maybe it could be that, that we see ourselves in the story somewhere. And it could be that we see... Some of the people we love in the story. It could be that you, um, I mean, I don't want to get too metaphorical, but it could be that there are people that you love. You have children and grandchildren. You have aunts and uncles. You have brothers and sisters that have left Jerusalem not believing, that are on the way back just to wherever they came from or the lodging for the night or whatever it is. And you might recognize their story in this too. And it might give you a renewed passion to pray for them. So the first, the first obstacle that I see in, uh, um, in a passage is the, the sadness that comes from looking around. Did you see? Watch. That very day, two of them were going to a village named Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem, and they were talking with each other about all the things that had happened while they were talking and discussing together. Jesus, him, Jesus himself, um, I don't want to spend a lot of time with this. This is not somebody that looked like Jesus. This is not a ghost. This is a G like Luke is like, G no, I better say himself. Jesus himself, like actually resurrected Jesus, finds these guys um, on the road. Drew near and went with them, but their eyes were kept from recognizing him. And he said to them, what is this conversation you're holding with each other as you walk? And they stood still looking sad. Then one of them named Cleopas answered, are you the only visitor to Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened here in these days? They've been walking and talking, but this question from Jesus, who they don't yet recognize, stops them in the tracks. What a great description uh, verse 17 is. Jesus goes, hey, what are you guys talking about? And they stood there looking sad. I'm not an actor. Was that sad or was that confused? <laughs> I don't know. Have you... So they're trying to figure it out. That's what they're discussing. And don't you remember what he said and how beautiful that was? And well, wasn't, it, wasn't it great? And didn't we seem like we were so close to, to all the things that we've been praying for our whole lives? And what was that? And how did he get arrested? Like, I never even heard the story. Did that happen in the middle of the night? Like, I... Next thing I knew, he was dead. And, and what's going on? And then the girls came with this story of, like, the body's not there. Where's the body? 
And they're trying to figure all of this out. And Jesus comes and goes, hey, what are you guys talking about? And they're just stopped dead in their tracks because of the events. Verse 18 tells us the source of their sadness. It says, they were stopped dead in their tracks. They, they stood there being sad because of the things that have happened in Jerusalem in these days. Guys, looking around at the state of the world is, without a proper understanding of the resurrected Christ is always going to lead, lead to sadness. And we'll talk about world events maybe later, but I even think about how each one of you is suffering in your own way. I have an opportunity to talk to lots of people about what's going on in their lives. I don't know anybody who's like, I haven't had a problem in 10 years. <laughs> and in fact, the problem of pain and suffering philosophically in our day and age might be the biggest obstacle. I know this is goofy. See these guys, they're confused and there's obstacles to the empty tomb. I mean, it's that kind of creativity that makes Lighthouse special. But it could be that it really is. But if God is good, why is there so much sorrow? If God is good, why is there illness? If God is good, why am I trying so hard and not, not accomplishing the things that I wanted to accomplish? If God is good, why... Why this? Why that? You know, that's something that, that I struggled with um, at various times in my life, but especially, you know, in that the time you're supposed to struggle with that, in my early 20s, mid-20s, sensing a call to ministry. You know, I always, I always, the way I always articulated is when I started in youth ministry, I just, I didn't want to feel like a, I didn't want to feel, uh, is anybody a used car salesman? Because I admire them a great deal. You are, yeah. Um, I didn't want to be the kind of guy that was like, hey, come believe in Jesus, come trust the Bible, but don't look over there, and that, but this isn't, don't worry about that, or yeah, we don't really believe that anymore. I didn't want to do that. I didn't want to, I, I didn't, I, I didn't want to tell people, give your whole life to Jesus, sell everything and follow him, if, if I didn't really believe it down into my bones. And it was the problem of suffering in the world that caused me the most problems. And what we see on the road to Emmaus is the truth that is, in my mind, the only answer, the only satisfactory answer to the problem of suffering, and that is this, that as God looked down and saw the suffering of the world, his answer was not to abandon us or even to fix it from afar, but his answer was to come in the form of a man and suffer with us and for us so that we might have a hope past the grave. So that Paul can, and we'll read this passage in a minute, but so that Paul can go, I'm getting beat up and in prison and, and all of these terrible things, but these are light and momentary afflictions compared to the internal glory that lies ahead. As the, these two look around, they're probably very disappointed. They thought they had found the Messiah, they thought that Rome was going down and this is our day. And as they leave Jerusalem, all they can see is the things that have happened in Jerusalem in these days. And it could be that you're in a season in your life too where the difficulty, the sadness is so overwhelming of these days. It could be that, that you would go, hey, 
You know, it's the obstacle of full belief is the things that have happened in Seaside in these days. It's just been so hard. Does it make a difference if the resurrected Savior is standing beside you? The second obstacle is knowing almost everything you need to know about Jesus. You know, there's like a phrase that I kind of think we've cozied up to a little bit, but it was a very controversial phrase a few years ago, and it was that maybe we are in a post-Christian culture. And you go, wait a minute, we're not post-Christian. There's lots of Christians, but I think this is what that is talking about, that there's lots of people that know a lot about Jesus without knowing Jesus. That if you talk to somebody just on the street and you go, you know who Jesus was, they would have a lot of information, but not enough to come to saving faith. They don't know the real Jesus. They don't know what's missing there. Verse 24, uh, 19 says, And he said to them, What things? And they said to him, Concerning Jesus of Nazareth, a man who was a prophet, mighty indeed, and word before God and all the people. Are they right? Is that who Jesus is? They're missing some stuff. You never hear Lord. You never hear Son of Man, which is Luke's, the thing Luke records, Jesus calling himself most. You don't hear Son of God. You don't hear Messiah. Now, what they know about Jesus is that he is Jesus of Nazareth. True? Amen? Amen? Which means he's a human guy from up north. And he was. That's absolutely right. They call him a prophet. Not only was this guy from Nazareth up in Galilee like a Jewish guy, but, but man, he spoke to us. It was like Elijah was here. It was like Isaiah was here. It was like Moses was here. Like he spoke with this, with, with, he, he spoke the words of God to us. And like the prophets, he called us to repent and return. It was awesome listening to him preach. I wonder if these guys had a little you know, a revolution of their faith. Maybe they had heard the words of Jesus and had repented a little. They said he's mighty indeed. I mean, can you imagine that week in Jerusalem, the stories that must have been going around. He had just risen, like Lazarus had just walked out of his tomb, like shedding grave clothes and going, thank you, Jesus. Like walking on water, feeding 5,000, all of the, he had done mighty deeds, that's true. But Jesus is not just a miracle worker. He had been mighty in speech, it says he was mighty in deeds and in words. And Jesus got in trouble for this a lot, that, that he spoke not like somebody who was just teaching the Bible, but rather he spoke like with firsthand authority. He forgave people. He said what God thought. It says he was mighty in deed and words before God and men. Obviously, God was pleased with him. People loved him. Knowing almost all you need to know about Jesus is not enough. It is the resurrection of Jesus that has changed the world. It is the resurrection of Jesus. If you have questions about things Jesus did or things Jesus taught, you must start with the resurrection, with the empty tomb. These guys have Jesus. They could, they could, they could tell you all about what Jesus taught, but they don't know the empty tomb. Um, okay, I say this. 
We're not trying to make the world more Christian-y. We're not trying to make them act like Christians. What we're trying to do is introduce them to a resurrected Savior. Like knowing about Jesus without the empty tomb is just not enough. Christians, what is our testimony? These guys know Jesus more than folks in Seaside, I'm sure. What they're missing is that Jesus conquered death. And so my grave can be empty too. And if you're a seeker, would you please know that? And if there's things about the scriptures that challenge you, amen. There's things about the scriptures that challenge all of us. They're they're the scriptures and I'm just Grant. But start and maybe end with the empty tomb of Jesus. Jesus is alive. This third obstacle we find in the next verse in in, uh, verse 20. I love this. And they go, so they, talk, they say how great Jesus is. And I just feel the anger, the, the rage in their voices. They go, and how our chief priests and rulers delivered him up to condemn him to death and crucify him. Man, they have found somebody to blame, and it is the government. <laughs> we love that, man. That's, that's what I'm talking about. So Jesus was great. Then the stupid priests got involved. It was our leaders. Were the leaders wrong? (sighs) Yeah, they were wrong. They should not have turned Jesus over to the Romans to be crucified. They were power hungry and evil and corrupt and the whole thing. In fact, The facts of verse 20 are absolutely right. That the priests turned Jesus over to the Romans to be crucified. That is absolutely true. But do you see the the power that they're giving the powers that be? We do that all the time. The evaluation of these facts in this verse couldn't be further from the truth. That they see the cross as the end of the Jesus movement. All week listening Jesus preach in the temple, and then he died. Ah, let's go back to Emmaus. I guess the movement's over. Man, we were following this great prophet. He did great things. He taught great things. But then the stupid national leaders wrecked everything. Do you see the air? They're looking at the situation through the wrong lens. The world leaders are going to be the world leaders. But the tomb is empty. There was nothing. We talk about this a lot in here. This was not a fair fight. This is not Jesus against the government, and it's a fair fight. This is not even Jesus against the powers of darkness, and it's a fair fight. No, Jesus is victorious. They see the cross. They do not see the victory of the empty tomb. If you've uh, got a Bible open, flip back to to Psalm uh, 10. This is a sentiment that has been around for a long time. You're allowed to pray this, by the way. It's in your Bible. Like you can totally pray Psalm 10 if you are discouraged and angry. Why, O Lord, do you stand far away? Why do you hide yourself in times of trouble? In arrogance, the wicked hotly pursue the poor. 
Let them be caught in the schemes that they devise. For the wicked boasts of the desire of his soul, and the one greedy for gain curses and renounces the Lord, that's Yahweh. In the pride of his face, the wicked does not see him. All his thoughts are, there is no God. His ways prosper at all times. Your judgments are on high, out of his sight. As for all his foes, he puffs at them. He says in his heart, I shall not be moved. Throughout all generations, I shall not meet adversity. We could read the whole thing, but you get the point. He is looking around and going, God, it seems like the bad guys are winning. Have you thought that? Have you looked around and wanted to scream, God, where are you? Are you seeing the evil in the world? Is there some smiting coming? Are you like stockpiling lightning bolts and getting your arm loose? What's going on? The answer is the resurrection of Jesus Christ. No matter what's going around in the world, no matter what sabers the evil people are rattling, they are completely impotent in the face of the power over life and death that God and God alone has and is demonstrated in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Jesus has been crucified. They see that. But Jesus has not been defeated. There is evil in the world. We see that. But God has not been defeated because the tomb is empty. It's easy for us also to look at the world and see how victor- and, and, and forget how victorious Jesus is. Remember what Paul said in Romans 8. Who shall separate us from the love of God? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? We're being killed all day long. We're regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. Knowing all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who love us. How is that possible? It is only possible because the tomb is empty and yours will be too. I got to get going. Obstacle number four. I got a whole bunch more. Yeah, you're, you're going to be fine. It's good stuff. <laughs> Obstacle number four is they've heard the story and they're just having a hard time believing it. Unbelief is its own thing. Unbelief is not, it shouldn't be called unbelief. That sounds like it's just the absence of belief, but rather, rather the act of choice to not believe is its own movement. And do you feel for these guys a little bit? Remember, this is Easter day. The girls have just come back and said, we were there first thing in the morning. There's no body. They have a seven-mile walk ahead of them. They're like, okay, okay. Do you remember what, what the, was going on in the room? It, it, it said that it seemed like a fable to them. The disciples heard it, and they were like, this doesn't make sense. So they take off. They're going back to Emmaus. And maybe there have been times when you've learned of God's goodness, but still had to process it. Even if you grew up in church, there comes a time when you have to not only hear the gospel, but you have to submit to it. Some of you might still be there. You could articulate the facts of the story, but you have not committed to the story. You have not surrendered to Christ. So what would you expect Jesus to do? These guys that are rocked with unbelief and are saddened by the events of the day and think that the powers that be have, have the final say and, and, and there's that disappointment. What would you expect Jesus to say? Well, 
Let's watch how Jesus skillfully leads these people to himself. And let's pray, God, would you teach me to do this? First of all, in opposition to the obstacles, there's the witness of Scripture. If I could be any place for all time, hear anybody talk, it might be whatever Jesus said on the road to Emmaus. It says Jesus began with Moses. Maybe he was demonstrating how the Passover feast was a forerunner of the crucifixion. Maybe, maybe he's showing, uh, Jesus is showing how himself had been a leader like Moses, freeing the people from the bonds of, st- of sin and death like Moses had freed the people from Egypt. And then it says Jesus worked through the prophets, showing how the day of the Lord that Israel had been waiting for for centuries was in the works right now, that, that in Christ, Satan and death are finally defeated, that all the covenantal promises are made true in Christ. And then it says how Jesus interpreted to them all the scriptures, or interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. I imagine Jesus was a good preacher. Maybe how a descendant of Eve had to crush the the head of the snake but had to receive a death blow in return. Maybe how he was the seed of Abraham. Maybe the royal enthronement psalms were mentioned. Maybe all the temple imagery that speaks to his royalty. Maybe how the covenants point to Christ. That is an amazing truth. Look, not every scripture is about Jesus, but they all are about the promise that Jesus fulfilled. But also, there's something else in there that it is also true that a misunderstanding of what the scriptures teach is a huge obstacle. Belief that bad Bible teaching is a huge obstacle, and the only like, answer for that is good Bible teaching. And we're in a lot of trouble if I'm the only one who finds it my responsibility to be a good Bible teacher. Because let me tell you, your friends, I used to always say this when I was a youth pastor, your friends couldn't care less what I say about the Bible. I'm the Baptist preacher. Look at me. I got Baptist preacher written all over me. Of course I think Jesus is the answer. But can you pick up a Bible and show them? The Bible has been used to justify truly terrible things. In the wrong hands, the Bible can be made to say almost anything. But well understood, it is the most freeing thing you will ever read. We don't all have to be Bible scholars, but every believer should be growing in the ability to do what Jesus did on that road. I think about that Philip and the Ethiopian eunuch, and the Ethiopian eunuch is just in a chariot, and he's got the scroll of Isaiah open, and Philip goes, what are you reading? And he goes, ah, the scroll of Isaiah. And Philip goes, do you understand it? And he goes, how would I? And Philip is able to get in and explain it to him. Man, I don't know if you're there right now, but get there. If we're going to be on mission, it has to be that we can rightly define, not just, not just me, not just our shepherds, but all of us. So there's the testimony of the of the scriptures. And then there's the witness of fellowship. It says, as they draw near to Emmaus, Jesus accepts this invitation to fellowship. How long was Jesus walking with these guys? This is something that Jesus had continued 
is continuing from his whole ministry. He, he accepts invitations to dinner from tax collectors, from sinners, and now from seekers. And I won't spend too much time, but hey, Christians, if seekers are going to find Christ, they're going to have to spend some time with Christians. And then there's the witness, the signpost of the bread. It, this is the moment when belief happens. It says um, when they finally put all the pieces together is when he broke bread. And certainly the breaking of bread was not the only convincing element that caused belief in those two that day. Um, but that was the moment it all clicked. And it's probably too much to say that what Jesus did was led them in communion or led them in the Lord's Supper because that formula in the Scriptures always includes wine. But it's worth thinking about. It's also worth thinking about that Luke points out, or the way Luke writes this, is that it matches not only the communion story, uh, the Lord's Supper story in the upper room, but it also matches the feeding of the 5,000 that the formula goes, and he took bread and he gave thanks and he broke it and he gave it to him. It's impossible to think that Luke could be using that without trying to refer all three of those to each other. In that broken bread, they saw the broken body of Jesus. And I wonder if the disciples and the apostles had eaten together on Saturday. Sure they did, didn't they? So Jesus dies. Saturday's the Sabbath. Probably had things prepared, didn't bake bread on the Sabbath, but I wonder if just the day before they had been sitting around, Jesus saying, this is my body broken for you, that when it came time to eat together, if they looked at the bread and went, and if the apostles had that story on board in their understanding, and and, and if, if they, sitting with the rest of the disciples, had maybe gone, guys, I got to tell you what dinner was like yesterday. This is what Jesus did as he took the bread at the Passover meal. He said that he was going to be broken for us. He said the bread was going to represent his body, and then he gave it to us. And man, I just feel like in light of the crucifixion yesterday, like Jesus died, his body was broken. He said it was gone, and it was. We should remember him as we eat together now. And then it's the next day on Easter that Jesus breaks bread at a town called Emmaus. And they go, oh my gosh. There's one more witness that we shouldn't overlook, and it's the witness of the Holy Spirit in their hearts. As, as they understand who Jesus is, and Jesus disappears, and, and, and they talk to each other, they go, weren't our hearts burning? Unless the Holy Spirit is drawing people, they're not going to find their resurrected Savior. There's a couple ideas about that. There's either that the Holy Spirit is only drawing some people, and I don't think that. But rather, I think that it is all of our stories that we would go, after we came to faith, we would go, wasn't God after me the whole time? And I think that you and I should operate in the way that we understand that God is after every resident of Seaside right now. That there might be a a burning in their hearts, a dissatisfaction. Um, a philosopher that I read sometimes said something like, I've quoted this to you before, and every time I quote it, I get further away from the original quote, so I'll have, to, I'll have to apologize. But something like, I hope you get everything your heart desires so you learn the abject horror 
of getting everything your heart desires and still not having anything. There is a burning in the human heart that can only be filled by the resurrected Savior. So as we take upon ourselves the role of following Jesus and bearing witness of Scripture and, and fellowship and communion, we trust that He is already doing the work of causing there to be a burning in the hearts of people. And then, lastly, belief means new mission. This is crazy to me. Seven-mile walk. Let's just say, maybe it's three and a half, let's go for seven, it makes the sermon better. If it's three and a half, it's still a long way. But why did they invite Jesus in for dinner? It's getting late. Why don't you come in? After they recognize who Jesus is, what do they do? They get up and go back to Jerusalem. That's a long walk. I might have slept on it. But their lives are changed. And instead of, ah, oh, the movement's over. The story of Jesus ended on the cross. Let's go back to Emmaus. Whether they lived there or that's a station on the way to someplace else. But actually, now they go, oh my gosh, my whole life's about the Jesus movement. My whole life is back in Jerusalem. Let's go back with the other disciples. We're going to tell them. And some people think the other, the other traveler was Simon because he said, and Jesus appeared to Simon. So that makes you feel better. Um, and, but, but they say, look, we're not staying in Emmaus. We have to get back to the disciples, the rest of the followers of Jesus. They need to know. And this movement has to spread. I don't think I mean this 100% because things are difficult and everybody's story is different. But if you're not on a brand new mission, you're not saved. <laughs> because it's not just about knowing stuff. And it's not just about feeling better. It's about your whole life changing. You got to leave Emmaus, go back to Jerusalem. Get with the other Christians and spread the word. Belief means new mission. So, maybe you are disappointed in Jesus, the scriptures, the church. And maybe you feel like you're leaving. You're on the road back to wherever. Could I encourage you to not give up and be a seeker? It just could be that the burning in your chest can only be satisfied by the resurrected Savior. And it's those who seek Him that find Him. And life is full of disappointments, and we've all been disappointed with lots of things. We have such limited understanding. Of course there's going to be seasons where we don't know what's going on. But could I encourage you to be someone who's not satisfied until you've sought wholeheartedly the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Him himself. Maybe some of us need to model Jesus. We need to be those who can lovingly walk alongside. It's amazing, in Luke especially, but in the Gospels in general, it's amazing how many great conversations happen on the road. Just walking with people. Just being. Going from one town to another. And maybe we need to grow the skill of that kind of relational togetherness with people and the skill to be able 
to be good with a Bible in our hands. To be willing to break bread with people. And to break bread and tell the story. Hey, when Jesus was in the upper room, he broke bread and that was supposed to point us to his broken body. And maybe we need to see our job as partnering with the Holy Spirit who's, also cause, who's already causing a, a holy dissatisfaction in hearts, a burning in hearts as they hear about the story of Jesus. Maybe some of us have had our lives changed and we need to get back on mission. Maybe this is a story that you surrendered two years ago, but now as you look at your life, you go, man, I'm not living this story out. I, I just have been... It's just something I've known. I've just called myself saved my whole life. I haven't been like actively going back to Jerusalem. I haven't been actively changing my life to honor the resurrection of Jesus. Man, I wish I had the experience that these two had. I wish I had visibly seen Jesus and he explained the whole Old Testament to me. That would be so rad. But I do have the witness of the Holy Spirit in my heart. And I have had the witness of Christians pouring into me. And I do have the witness of, and the sufficiency of Scripture. And it's changed my life. Amen. And if you're a seeker, let it change yours. Heavenly Father, thank you for the gift of this story. Thank you for changing our lives. Thank you for a reason to, Lord, when the, you know, when the powers that be are so mean and, and when the world seems like it's falling apart and when I just can't stomach the news and when personally, Lord, the, there's sorrow and sadness and disappointment and frustration and, and when there's a lack of understanding, when I feel like I'm looking at all the pieces of the puzzle but I can't quite see it, Lord, thank you that you are faithful and chasing us down and thank you that you have... Have, have conquered all of that, conquered sin, conquered death, and that I could live a brand new life in you. God, would you give us the strength and courage to not only live that new life, but to draw others to that new life as well. Lord, if there's somebody uh, in the room who's got a burning in their chest, Lord, who needs to say yes to you in a fresh way or for the first time, who this sermon was not enough to explain the whole thing and there's still questions, but today's the day they want to surrender their life to, to you, to no longer live for themselves, but live as a follower of you. Then God, I pray that they would surrender now. Just with a simple internal prayer of Jesus, I want to live my life for you. Please save me. And man, if that's you, if you just put your name on a blue card so we can reach out or come, come find one of the leaders around here after church and tell us. We would love to pray with you. And if you're a seeker and you're frustrated and you need somebody to tell you're frustrated, man, we'll walk the journey with you. So God, would you work in hearts? Would you work in our hearts? And then God, would you work in the hearts of people in our lives that the story of the resurrection might dwarf all the other stories in our lives? Love you, God. In Jesus' name, amen.